Good morning, Maranatha family. Uh, this morning, we get to close our mini-series uh, through several psalms and close our year and also look ahead to the coming year by get, digging into Psalm 100, probably a, a well-known psalm for many of us, a psalm of thanksgiving. So are you a thankful person? Would the people in your life that you interact with most, would they describe you as a thankful person? Think with me for a second. When, when do you feel most thankful? Probably for a lot of us, we tend to associate thankfulness as a response to when things are, are going well in our lives, when we have desirable circumstances. These last several weeks, we've been looking at Psalms 21 through 24, at these themes of joy, hope, love, peace in these psalms, as these psalms point us towards the Messiah. And today, as we look at Psalm 100, we're going to see this command to worship God in thanksgiving. And we're going to see that this command is not based on our circumstances, but on who God is. Because really, our our gratitude or our lack thereof is really a measure of what we believe about God. See, there's this deep connection throughout all of Scripture between knowing God rightly and worshiping Him. And so today, as we look at Psalm 100, we're really going to see two things again and again. We're going to see commands to live our lives with thanksgiving, to to worship God in various ways in all that we do. And then we're going to see that paired with simple yet core, foundational truths about who God is. And the beautiful thing about this is that if we set these truths before our eyes, if we allow these truths to seep into our hearts and influence the way we navigate various situations in life, then God will make us a thankful people. So today as we talk and and as we look at Psalm 100, the main idea of, of our time today will be that if we are not a thankful people, we know neither our God nor ourselves rightly. Or we could state that positively, if we know our God and ourselves rightly, we will be a thankful people. See, you and I, as we walk through life, as we navigate various situations, we may realize that our hearts are responding a certain way. We may, may realize, I wasn't very thankful. And, and that can really function as a warning light to us. I was driving Sadie's car, uh, which I guess is now my car too, a few weeks ago. And all of a sudden, all these lights started flashing at once. The brake light came on, the traction control, the cruise control light came on. I think there was one or two more. All these things started happening. And that was a warning. Something is wrong. Something needs to be fixed. And and as we're navigating various situations in life, our response can often function in the same way. Now, how sad would it be if, if we ignored the warning lights of our hearts? Because when we're living unthankful lives, That's an indicator that we're forgetting something about God, that we're failing to worship him in the way that he made us to worship him. Because if we know God and we know ourselves rightly, we will be a thankful people. Please join me as as we read this passage together. Psalm 100, verse 1. 
we read, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. As we were reading this psalm, maybe you started to notice this, this structure up here. I think we see kind of a, a simple structure here. These first few verses, verses 1 through the first part of verse 3, we see these commands. Make a joyful noise. Serve. Come. And then this command, know. And that transitions in, in verse 3 then to these truths about God. We're told to know these truths about God. Then verse four includes several more commands. And then verse five, again, gives us the reason we worship God by telling us more about him, that he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And I think each of these commands that we see really can be summarized with this idea of worshiping God. Now, sometimes when we think about worshiping God, our, our minds go straight to singing what we were just doing, and, and that's part of it. But notice these commands. This kind of worship encompasses all of our lives. We, we serve God in our daily lives. We come into his presence. Really, the, the idea of worshiping this word really just means ascribing worth to something or, or some one, we're, we're recognizing that someone or something has value, that it's worthy of us worshiping. One of our core values is here as a church is this idea of, of bowing before God, and, and we talk about that as living with the spotlight on Jesus. No matter what we do, the, the way we speak, the way we spend our time, what we focus on, the direction our lives are heading, what we're pursuing, these all say something about what we value. And, and the truth that, that we know is God is worthy. He has ultimate value, and he's shown that to us. That is why we make a joyful noise. That is why we worship him. But so often, if you're like me, we are a forgetful people, aren't we? And so today we have a chance just to be reminded of these truths about our God and ask that he would cultivate in us hearts of worship. In this psalm, we, we see four truths about God that should lead us to worship. The, the first thing we see is, is that we worship the Lord because he is God. We see this in verse three, part A. Worship the Lord because he is is God. We serve the Lord and we do it gladly because he is God. And as the one true God, he alone is worthy of worship. God is the highest being. He alone is unique. We know from scripture that there are other spiritual beings. We are creatures, but the Bible continually stresses that God is unique. There is no one else like him. Early on in the Bible, we learn this as God uses Moses to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. 
Moses sings this song in Exodus 15. And in Exodus 15, verse 11, he asks, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? The answer, of course, is no one. There is no one like our God. A few psalms before the one we're looking at today, in Psalm 86, verse 8 and 9, we see this, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Psalm 89, we see the same idea. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? Yahweh, the Lord, is the highest being. There is none like him. Now, to worship God as a way of life involves acknowledging that he is God at each and every moment. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I know we know this, but we have to be careful. It's, it's so easy to walk through situations in life, isn't it, where, where we're, we just kind of lack an awareness of God. We, we forget about him. It's probably never been easier to do this. Most of the people that we're interacting with on a daily basis probably don't acknowledge God, that he exists. They certainly don't care about him, and they, they do their best to pretend that he doesn't exist, and it's far too easy for us to be influenced like this. But our existence, our very existence, is utterly dependent on God. So how does God, how does he influence our lives day to day? How does he influence your life day to day? Is it possible that in these moments that we're struggling to be thankful, we're simply forgetting that God exists practically? Maybe we're living as though he didn't exist. Or perhaps it's possible that, that when we're not thankful, we're worshiping something else. Something else is, is taking that highest place in our lives. Our hearts are drawn to something else. One example I was thinking of is that sometimes I struggle with impatience. I, I have maybe expectations for how my day was going to go, how I was going to spend my time. I wanted to spend my time in a certain way, and that didn't happen. But rather than accepting that God is in control of, of my circumstances and in control of my time, Rather than being thankful about this truth that God is in control, that he had me in that moment, I was impatient. I was ungrateful. But when we keep God at, at the rightful place, his place as God, remember that God is God. There's this freedom to be thankful. We worship the Lord because he is God. And when the Bible reminds us that the Lord is God, part of what it's communicating to us, it's telling us that he is the creator. That is why there is no one like him. That sets him apart. God is the creator. And there is no one like him because there is no other creator. And our second point that we see in Psalm 100 really builds off of this. We see that we're to worship the Lord because he made us. The Lord created us, and as such, 
He has the right to demand and command whatever he wants from what he makes. Verse one tells that all the earth should make a joyful noise. All the earth. Only God can make that type of command because God created all of the earth. He gets to call the shots and demand worship from what he has made. But there's, there's more in this verse. There's, there's more. This word that the psalmist uses uh, carries this idea of, of something being fashioned, kind of emphasizing the purpose for which something is made. And that certainly fits in the context we see here in the psalm. We worship God because he has made us for a purpose. He is the one who makes us, and, and he gets to determine that purpose. When we make something, when we build something, uh, we get to determine its purpose. This week, I was given a gift. My, my mother-in-law gave me a, a leather strap with two magnets, and initially, I was confused. It looks cool, but what is it for? What, what do I use it for? Well, if, if you don't know, I, I would have to go to the person who made it. Turns out it's a bookmark. You use the magnets to magnetize the leather strap in your book. It's really neat. Uh, but the idea is, is that if I don't know what that was for, I ask the person who made it. And if we want to know what our purpose is as humans, we look to the one who made us to find out what that purpose is. See, we live in a culture that really prioritizes individual autonomy, don't we? This idea that, that we don't owe anyone anything, that we get to determine our own purpose. And even for those of us, as we try to follow Jesus, it's so easy to, to start to think like that. But we don't determine our own purpose. We receive it from the one who made us. Our maker gives us our purpose. And so we should make a joyful noise. We should worship God with our lives precisely because that is the purpose that he has given us. Why did God make humans? Brothers and sisters, he made us for his glory, that we would be a little glimpse, a little reflection of him and how glorious he is, that, that we would reflect him, that we would be like a mirror that points other people to him and how awesome he is. We see just a glimpse of this in the garden with Adam and Eve as they are given their purpose before the world is marred by their sin, their rebellion against God. So then this, this thankfulness that we see in Psalm 100, this thankfulness that we're talking about today, it's a posture before God where we are pointing back to him because we are thankful and we are worshiping him with the way that we live, recognizing that this is our purpose. In doing so, we are fulfilling the purpose for which he has made us. We worship the Lord because he made us. And as I mentioned earlier, in verse, verse one, we see that this is a command that goes out to all of the earth. The whole earth is called to worship God. As a whole, when we look at the book of Psalms, the Psalms is pointing us towards the Messiah. And there's this repeated call throughout the book for all the nations 
to take refuge in or to trust, to fear, to worship this Messiah that God will send. And those who do take refuge in the Messiah, those who trust, will have a close covenantal relationship with him. They will be his people, the recipients of his steadfast love. And and with the rest of our time today, as we keep working through Psalm 100, we're going to see just that, because the the third reason that we see in this psalm is that we worship the Lord because we are his people. If we have taken refuge in his son, the Messiah, we are his people. Not just that we belong to him because he is God and he made us, but there's this personal, close relationship that God has with his people. We are his people, and and this psalm describes us as, as the sheep of his pasture. This should remind us of what we talked about a couple weeks ago in Psalm 23. We were really focusing on this idea that we are sheep, and God is our shepherd. One of the things we looked at is this idea of dependence. Sheep are very dependent on their shepherd. They, they can't take care of themselves. They need their shepherd, and so they listen and follow him. And when we recognize that, that we need God, that we are dependent on him for our existence, that we are dependent on him to fulfill our purpose, that will lead us to be thankful because he is close to us, because he is our shepherd. But this This comparison to how we are as sheep, it also reminds us that God the shepherd knows his sheep, and he knows what's best for his sheep. And God knows what's best for us, and that is to fulfill this purpose that he has given us to worship him. That is what we were created for, and so this just further intensifies this command that we've been seeing that this is what's best for us. Do you, do you realize that? To, to live a life of worship oriented towards God, that is what's most fulfilling to us. That's what's most satisfying. This is why God made us. And so as his people, as his sheep, we can trust in him, that he leads us to worship him. And I think a lot of us tend to realize this, that that this is the best path forward. This is the most fulfilling and satisfying life. We can even look around at people around us and, and there's a certain ugliness about when, we, when our lives are marked by complaining. And at the same time, the most beautiful people are those who are thankful. They have this posture of thanksgiving towards God. God is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And as our shepherd, he is near to us, and we draw near to him. We see this in verse 2 when we're told to come into his presence with singing. And verse 4 also includes this, this temple language, this idea of entering his gates and his courts. It communicates this closeness in relationship. We are called to draw near to God, to come into his presence. 
And then as we get to verse five, we see the, the final reason that we do this. We do this because the Lord is good. Verse five, we see that we worship the Lord because he is good to his people. Think with me for a moment. If, if these other three statements that we've looked at alone were true, that the Lord is God, that he made us, that he is our shepherd, if these are all true and God is telling us to have a posture of thanksgiving towards us, we would have to obey him. But brothers and sisters, how sweet is it that he is also good. He is a good God. He is a good maker. He is a good shepherd. We worship the Lord our God because he is good to us. And we see this further explained. He's good to us in his steadfast love, which endures forever. This, this idea of steadfast love, we've been seeing this pop up the last few weeks. We saw this in Psalm 23, this idea of, of God's steadfast love chasing the psalmist, his covenantal love. He has made a covenant with his people to sacrificially act towards what is best for them. We also see that his faithfulness extends to all generations. This idea that that God keeps his promises again and again throughout all time. These words forever, these words, the word all generations, brothers and sisters, the good news is that includes us. That includes you and me. This generation of God's people This is the same God today. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You and I, if we have received Jesus, we are recipients of God's steadfast love and faithfulness through his Messiah, Jesus. And as we continue working through this passage today, I want to just take a few minutes to to zoom out and see how this, this fits in the context of the book of Psalms. One of the things that we've been doing the last few weeks is looking at the Psalms, Psalm 21 through 24, but also asking this question, how does this point us forward to the Messiah? And so as we take just a few minutes to, to kind of zoom out and see how this fits in the context, I think the context will just further emphasize the things that we've already been talking about. It'll, it'll give us a clue as to how this psalm, this specific psalm, fits into this messianic theme uh, throughout the book. And we'll, we'll start to see more clearly, I think, that, that understanding and knowing our God will lead us to be thankful in all circumstances. Because when we zoom out just a little bit, we see that God's steadfast love and faithfulness is most clearly seen in his kingly rule over his people and his promise to send the Messiah. Right at the beginning of the book of Psalms, we we see this this pairing of Psalm 1 and 2 that really introduces the book for us. And in Psalm 2, we read that God has established his son as king, the Messiah who will fulfill God's promise to David. Psalm 2 verse 2 mentions the Lord and his anointed one. This is the the word that we use for Messiah or Christ. 
And then verses six and seven, uh, this is the Lord speaking. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. And these two Psalms really talk about two kinds of people. Those who take refuge in, who trust in God's son, the Messiah, and, and those who reject him, who will experience the wrath of this Messiah. Now, as we fast forward to later on in the book, um, if you were to go to Psalm 73 through 89, we see this is the, the third section or the third book of the book of Psalms. And these, these, this group of Psalms really focuses on asking this question, how long, Lord, or, or why? God made a promise to David to send his Messiah, a king who will rule forever. But at this moment in Israel's history, that, that hasn't happened yet. And so this, this question arises, how long, Lord, will you be faithful to keep your promises? Look at the last psalm in this grouping, Psalm 89. I, I have the verse on the, the slides up there. Verse 1, the psalmist says, I will sing of the steadfast, here's our word, steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Some of that language sounds like what we're seeing in Psalm 100, doesn't it? This idea of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. But by the end of this psalm, verse 49, the psalmist asks, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore to David. There's this idea, God, what is going on? God, I trust you, but it doesn't seem like you have accomplished all that you have promised. And then in the very next psalm, we have the psalm, Psalm 90, written by Moses, but placed in this book later on in Israel's history. And it really shifts our perspective as readers to focus on God's eternality and our own fleeting life. It answers this question, how long, O Lord, by, by telling the readers that God will bring about his promise for a Messiah to pass in his own good time. And then as we, we look through the next few Psalms, Psalm 93 through 99, uh, we see this theme. We even read Psalm 96 earlier. We see this theme that the Lord is king. Each psalm talks about God's reign as king, his judgment, his just rule. Even though the Lord has not sent his Messiah yet, he still reigns. And readers can rejoice in his good reign marked by his steadfast love and faithfulness. This section, Psalm 93 through 99, focuses on God's reign. And then we get to Psalm 100 the psalm of thanksgiving. Thanks be to the Lord. His steadfast love is still present. His faithfulness extends to all generations. And if we were to read the next few psalms, we see that there's this heightened focus on the coming Messiah culminating in Psalm 110, which some of us may recognize as the most quoted messianic psalm in the New Testament. The Messiah is still coming. This is the context we find this psalm. God has made these promises. They, 
They don't seem to be coming to pass. Uh, this, is, this book is arranged at a time in Israel's history where there is no Davidic king. And so there's this question, how is God going to fulfill his promise of a Messiah? And God's people are told to trust in him, to wait on him, to trust in his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And so I want to jump back into Psalm 100 and, and notice we have these four reasons to worship God that we've been talking about. We worship the Lord because he is God. We worship the Lord because we ma- he made us. We worship the Lord because we are his people. And we worship the Lord because he is good to his people. I want you to notice what's missing from that list. None of these reasons are tied to our circumstances. None of these reasons are, are tied to our, our present situation in life. And, and isn't that the biggest challenge for us as, as we think about thankfulness? So often it, it's caught up, it's tied in our present circumstances. But it's interesting, the psalmist doesn't really give us room to allow our thankfulness to be dependent on our circumstances. Instead, in this psalm, our eyes were supposed to look at God's eternality and his faithfulness. I love the psalms because they they help me and, and teach me to get outside of myself and my immediate circumstances, to have a longer perspective focusing on God and what he has been doing all throughout history to bring a people to himself. And a psalm like this, Psalm 100, is so helpful in balancing these two truths. On one hand, God is so much bigger than our present circumstances. He's been accomplishing his plan for generations. Even right now, there's so much going on in the world that God is building up his kingdom and accomplishing his plan. He's redeeming and calling a people to himself. Psalm 100 teaches us to keep that in mind, but also to keep in mind this wonderful truth that at the same time, God is present and he allows us to draw near to him. He describes us as his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. He is our shepherd. He is present with us in those circumstances and he cares about our lives. We're able to balance both of those truths at the same time. And in in many ways, the Psalms gives us words teaching us to wrestle with and pray to God about how our present circumstances fit with what we know about God. Brothers and sisters, this, this Psalm was first written to remind God's people of his faithful character as they waited for his son, the Messiah, to come. But do you realize we're not in that different of a situation? We are waiting for Jesus to come again. Similar to how God's people thousands of years ago, reading this psalm, were waiting for his Messiah to come for the first time. We are waiting for Jesus's second coming. So the question for us is, are we waiting? Are we waiting? Are we waiting? Are we waiting well? 
Are we waiting for Jesus' second coming with the same intensity that these psalmists were waiting for his first coming? Psalm 100 gives us a a little picture of of what that would look like to wait well for Jesus' second coming. It's marked, it's with a posture marked by wanting to know God more and wanting to worship him. A, A commitment to pursue thankfulness in all circumstances. Brothers and sisters, our our king, this king that's talked about in the book of Psalms, this king that has come, he is calling us to be thankful. He is commanding us to pursue thankfulness through the various situations in life that he leads us to. If we have taken refuge in this king, then we have reason to be thankful. And if we're not, as if we're struggling with thankfulness, it could be an indicator that, that we're forgetting something about God or forgetting something about ourselves. If we're not thankful, we know neither God nor ourselves rightly. We're, we're forgetting something. And, and so as we start to wrap things up, I just want to take a few minutes to throw out maybe a few examples of what we could be forgetting. If we're struggling with thankfulness, maybe we've forgotten who we were and what we deserve. Ephesians 2 describes us as dead in our trespasses and sins. We're described as enemies of God. I mentioned Psalm 2 earlier, and that describes how Those who reject God's son are deserving of the Messiah's wrath. We can so often forget who we were and and what we deserved. Maybe we forgot God's steadfast love shown to us in Christ. This psalm can be helpful. Verse five calls us to remember God's steadfast love, that he is good, the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Maybe we've forgotten the joy of being in God's presence. Psalm 100, verse 2 and 4 calls us to enter, to come into God's presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Do you get the sense that the call there is is not to enter his presence begrudgingly, but we can actually have joy? Maybe we've forgotten the joy of being in God's presence. One of the Psalms I I love uh, teaches us the same thing. Psalm 73, Asaph is is looking around at the wicked and he notices how they seem to be prospering. They're doing really well, and and he writes about how he gets jealous. But there's this shift, this turning point. He says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Maybe we've forgotten that, that God has arranged each situation, each challenge, each trial that we face, and that he's working it out for our good. This really builds off of what we've been discussing the last few weeks in in these psalms, especially a couple weeks ago, Psalm 23, we saw that God leads us often through challenging times. 
and he's arranging each situation, each circumstance in life for our good. And as we start to, to use the Psalms to help us wrestle with these circumstances, this question, why, Lord, becomes what? What, Lord, what are you doing right now? What are you teaching me? How are you orchestrating this circumstance for our good? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is our king and he's our good shepherd. And so he commands us and he teaches us to be thankful. And as he does that, we respond in obedience. We seek to to live lives of worship towards him. And everything we do reflecting the spotlight back to Jesus. As As we think about this, this time now where we're finishing up this year and and moving into 2024, uh, it's as good a time as any uh, just for us to ponder these things and and ask the Lord to teach us to become more thankful in the situations that we're in right now. So will you join me in in prayer as as we call out to our God and, and ask him for this? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for this reminder in Psalm 100, uh, these wonderful truths about you. God, we thank you that you alone are God, that you have made us, uh, that if we have received Jesus, you have called us to be your people. And God, we thank you that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. But Father, as, as you shepherd us through the various situations in life, you are so aware of the ways we struggle and, cha- and, and we have challenges in, in being thankful. And, and so, God, our, our request now is that as we've heard your word, your spirit would shape our hearts uh, to respond in faith and seek to live lives worshiping you, pursuing thankfulness, in all our circumstances. God, we depend on you uh, to bring this change in our lives um, and ask you, in Jesus' name, by your spirit, amen.